This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, here we go. Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person. It's a symbol. An idea. The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof. Rejecting faith. Pursuing knowledge. Challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth. Not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish. And working together for a more rational world. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Assume nothing. Question everything. And start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast. Hosted by Seth Andrews. My dog has been barking at Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. Let me tell you the story. My whole front yard every single October is a Halloween story or, I mean, the display is so big that I have become known in my neighborhood as the Halloween house. I mean, it's crazy. A few years ago, I put Freddie, Jason, and Michael Myers all behind a table and they were really tricked out. I mean, I had these six foot tall characters built with the outfits and the masks and they were sitting behind a table behind that banner that said, the teenagers deserved it. Change our minds. So that was a big hit. I did uh, last year. I had a boat. My sister's got this fishing boat. And so I had it transported and placed in my front yard. And I put three skeletons in it with oars. And I built a light river using these motion lights in purple and green. And I had them rowing the river sticks. And there was fog that was going along inside the boat. It was amazing. And I've got these fiery lamp-looking things, these bulbs that uh, screw into all the coach lights on the outside of the house. And I cast a hue of red or green or whatever all over the stucco. It's a big, big deal. And so I came up with this idea. I'd like to do The Wizard of Oz. And I would like to have, I would like to build for my outdoor display a 10-foot-tall rotating tornado. Next time I come up with an idea like this, slap me in the freaking face. So I go and I build the frame out of PVC pipe. I'm screwing it all together. And genius that I am, in the state of Oklahoma, I thought, well, let's just make the whole thing out of plastic and mattress batting, and then we'll paint it brown and gold with some glitter and put some grass on it. Wait a minute. All you need is like an eight-mile-an-hour wind, and your 10-foot plastic tornado becomes a kite. And that's exactly what happened. I didn't even get the thing hung on the swivel up there on the stand. I didn't even get it out before the wind destroyed my tornado. So I went back to the drawing board and we got this uh, tubing. I guess it's some kind of a flexible conduit. And we just wrapped it all the way around, top to bottom. And it took forever because we're taking machine screws and we're sort of bolting and screwing it in at the joints, right? The, the vertical PVC joints. And we go all the way down. It took all day. 
We paint it a metallic kind of a gold uh, gray with some glittery stuff on it to catch my lights. And we hang it. And it's currently outside. And it is spinning. I've got a tiny motor at the bottom. It's one of those motors that runs a um, countertop display for retail stores. Not expensive. I bought one. I stuck it underneath the tornado and wired it on. And now when I plug it in, the tornado actually rotates. So because it's made of tubing with these big spaces, the wind blows right through it. And because of the motor, it actually rotates. And I made sure that it rotates as most tornadoes do in a counterclockwise direction. Because science. Accuracy matters. Now, as part of my display, I've got this big cardboard-looking cutout of some characters from The Wizard of Oz. We're going to do The Witch in 3D, but I've got Dorothy. Dorothy. It's like five-foot-tall Dorothy, and she's currently not out. I, I don't have her placed yet in the yard. So she's sitting in the entryway, and my dogs have been losing their minds. Seven pounds and 13 pounds of ankle-high death wish to destroy Dorothy. I'm not even sure what to do about it. I don't know. And so, I mean, I'm that guy. Somebody was walking by, the, you know, a young family was walking by and they were like, wow, uh, that's amazing. You guys must love Halloween. How old are your kids? And I looked them in the eye and I said, 54. Anyway, we're talking about irrational fears. I have uh, talked a lot about my irrational fear of tsunamis, which is stupid for a man who lives in Oklahoma. Like, I am so freaking landlocked. But ever since the Indian Ocean tsunami that killed almost 300,000 people, and the big one in Japan that killed almost 10,000, and of course the video of this tsunami, it's every, when we live in the age where there are video cameras on every cell phone, there's so much footage and I'm watching and I'm like, there's no place to go. Like you, there's nowhere to run. Like you, it, it, can you get too high ground? If you get in a car, that's probably not going to work because everybody else is doing the same thing. If you're on a building, the building gets swept away. So even whenever Natalie and I go on a beach vacation, let's say we go down to Florida and we're, we're in the, you know, the cottage or the Airbnb or whatever. I cannot shake this irrational fear that there's going to be an 8.5 on the Richter scale quake somewhere nearby in the ocean and a 30-foot wave is going to wipe me out and I'm going to drown horribly. This is weird. Now, on top of that, I stumble across a product that is marketed to people like me, actually people who live in high-risk areas for tsunamis, right? They live near the coast. This is an actual product. You can go to tsunamipods.com. And yes, it's a pod. It looks like maybe an eight or nine foot tall Christmas ornament, just a bulb or a big buoy that you might find in the ocean. It has a door, a sealable door, it's made of high-density polyethylene substance. So, I mean, you can just bang this thing all around. It's like a, a crash helmet that you sit inside. And yes, there are two racing seats, and you strap yourself in. There's a place for rations. I guess there's a place to pee. <laughs> it, of course, floats. It's got a locator beacon on it. And the idea is, as you hear the siren and the tsunami warning happening, okay, you go and hop in your giant rescue pod with, I don't know, Fifi the family dog, and good luck getting a hold of the cat. You hop in this bulb, you seal the door shut, you strap yourself into a chair, and then you are tossed around in a tumble cycle that almost certainly would produce so much vomit <laughs> from the motion sickness. It would be like sitting in the tumble dryer for hours as you are kicked around unimaginably violent currents of water 
that push inland for miles and then retract. And then the second wave comes in, which is worse. And then it retracts. And oh, look, the third wave. You are in this pod. And I'm thinking maybe I would rather die. <laughs> you got to see it. No, it's, it's real. TsunamiPods.com. Anyway, today's show is about fear. It's October, so I like talking about fear and the brain. We are going to hear from experts on the broadcast as we get into the psychology of both rational and irrational fears. And I would like to speak to you about your own phobias. And we begin with our first call of the broadcast. Is it Joshua yes, or Drew? It's Josh. Uh, my last name's Drew, but uh, like okay. it said, state your name, and so I just naturally just put my full name. I got you, Joshua. Yeah, we're talking about fears, phobias, irrational stuff. What do you have for us? Well, I was actually deathly terrified of the dark until I was like twelve years old, much longer than I should have. And uh, what's funny is now, as an adult, I cannot really sleep at all unless it's like pitch black which is very funny i'm a fan of the nightlight mostly i mean when i was a child it was to keep away the monsters now it's to keep myself from tripping over the furniture yeah for some reason like it, it irritates my eyes considering uh this is a thinking atheist i thought i might also share a lot of non-believers irrational belief in the torture of hell there's a specific video on YouTube called Eight Minutes in Hell, and it starts off with, like, an ambulance, and, like, the woman dies, and, like, she's being tortured by demons, and then it's like, oh, but Jesus loves you and all that stuff, and that used to, like, also terrify me as well. Um, and a lot of times during Halloween, being in a very religious household, they always sent you to those camps that haunted house, like, Christian versions of hell and stuff. Yeah, hell is one of those things that takes a lot of people time to get past. Logically, you know it's untrue. Emotionally, you carry some of those scars with you a long, long time. Josh, I appreciate you calling. I hope your Halloween holiday is amazing, and you are greatly appreciated. Yeah, you are greatly appreciated, too. Thank you so much, Seth. Right, take it easy. You ever been through one of those hell houses? If you don't know what a hell house is, churches... They're so good at copying things in the culture and then altering them. I've done a whole speech on this called The Copycats, where they grab everything, whether it's popular music or logos for certain brands or whatever people love, and they go, hmm, well, if pop culture loves it, we should make a Christian version of it. So rather than come up with something original, they just sort of uh, pervert <laughs> what's already going on and the haunted house is no exception so with hell houses they've decided they're going to try to scare the crap out of you or scare the hell out of you and they're going to do it with sort of a missionary angle so they bring you in and they drag you through what they will consider to be real life horrors and some of the stuff's hard core you walk into one room and it's a car accident the car's on its back the wheels are still turning you'll see bodies inside rended severed limbs blood everywhere you go into another room and there's someone who in front of you will put a gun in their mouth commit suicide there's blood spray that hits the wall behind them and literally they reset that for every group that comes in they wipe off the wall, which I think is like a whiteboard or something, and they reset the blank, or I don't know how they do it, but they have this poor actor committing suicide every five minutes in a hell house. And you go down into the depths of hell. I've been in one where you got in an elevator, a simulated elevator, and the floor goes red at the seams, at the cracks where the caulking is supposed to go, and you get out and you were down in the depths of hell and there are demons and there are people writhing and screaming and carrying on and there's smoke or fog. And you go through all of these horrors, gang shootings. There were some that do abortions gone wrong. They rip the babies out of the wombs of mothers. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's obscene. All right. You go out and there are counselors waiting for you at the exit doors of these hell houses and they are waiting to lead you to Jesus Christ. This is what the world looks like without the love of Jesus. 
Drop to your knees now and let's accept Christ into your heart so that you don't have to worry about all the horrible shit that just happened to you. I mean, it's offensive, really. It's offensive. But hell houses have become so ubiquitous and so popular. There are documentaries about these hell house experiences. You can Google search them. Go and Google. Pause this show. Go and Google search Hell House or Hell House Churches, Hell House Christianity, something like that. And then check the images. And this is what the church does every October. There's a Hell House in Tulsa, probably one of the best, at least most highly produced ones in the entire world. It's called The Nightmare. Universal Studios production quality. I am not kidding. They pour a ton of money and resources, and the whole purpose is evangelism, getting people to join the church, and making converts. And they do some shaky shit at the nightmare. Anyway, hell houses. Sorry for the digression. On the switchboard, it is Morgan. Hi, Morgan. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. I am talking with the audience today about irrational fears. What do you got? So I, as a grown man, am deathly afraid of wasps and like flying stinging bugs, like wasps and hornets. Wasps and hornets? Yes, sir. Well, I don't think that's irrational. I mean, the sting really hurts. They can be aggressive when provoked or surprised. Did you have an encounter? Were you stung by a wasp or hornet? Yeah, a few times. Uh, I, I do a lot of electrical work, so oftentimes it takes me in areas where I'm inside of an attic or something, trapped with these little bastards. <laughs> getting in the face by them is not a good time. <laughs> so I hear the buzzing sound and I flip out. I get that. I don't know if that's all that irrational. I um, there is a story. Oh gosh, I'm I'm gonna screw up the details. Not that I'm I'm making it worse probably for you, Morgan. But there was a plane crash. <laughs> Pilots were flying this plane, this jet, and the instruments gave them a false reading. And those false readings led to the plunging and crash of the aircraft into the ground and everybody died. And it turned out what had happened was that there was a hornet's nest. Like hornets had built a nest inside this little cylindrical sensor thing. And that caused the readings to be wrong. So it was tiny little hornets that caused a plane crash. Sorry, Morgan. That's my fault. (laughs) I've compounded your phobia. (laughs) Have a happy Halloween and a a wonderful holiday. And I appreciate you very much, sir. You as well. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, real fast. I just pulled up the wiki page. So you know I'm not making this up. Virgin Air Flight 301. Crashed on the 6th of February, 1996. Pilot was receiving incorrect airspeed information from one of these little tubes on the craft. The plane had been sitting unflown for three weeks, which allowed these uh, wasps to go in and build a nest. And so the pilot thought he was going faster than he was, and the plane just freaking dropped out of the sky. So... Here's a clip from a Big Think video. It's a neuroscientist, Tali Sharot. She is a cognitive neuroscientist at University College London and MIT. And she spoke specifically about how many of our fears and phobias are tied to a feeling that something is out of our control. In the brain, control has been associated with something good, with a reward. And it's something that people seek out. If people can make a choice, the same part of the brain that is activated when people get a piece of food, like a piece of chocolate, is activated when people have the opportunity to make a choice. When people don't have an opportunity to make a choice, when they feel they don't have control, what is triggered is anxiety. The fears that we have are not necessarily rational. For example, are a lot of people are scared of flying, right? So if you look at the numbers, 
flying is not necessarily the most dangerous thing that you do. Driving your own car is more dangerous. But people are afraid of flying because one of the reasons is that once you're in the plane, you don't have control anymore. You don't have control over the plane. You don't have control of anything really of your environment. So the sense of being in this space where you're losing control completely, giving it to someone else, is something that people feel anxious about. Now they don't want to take control. I don't want to fly the plane, right? I know I will be dead if I'll fly the plane. But nevertheless, I feel anxious, and I think that's true in other domains like health.、Um, one of the reasons that being in a hospital is anxiety-provoking, not only because you're sick, and that's very, you know, anxiety-provoking, but also because again, you lose control. Everyone's making the decision for you as they should. The doctors and the nurses. I mean, people should have some say, but they realize that the experts are making the choices for them. And that sense of losing control again can cause anxiety. And one thing that、um, studies have shown is that as we age, as we go into older age, we lose some of our control, right? Especially if we go to nursing homes, other people make the choices for us, and that induces stress on the individual as well, because no longer can I choose what will I do and when will I do it.、Um, and giving people a sense of control back can help them. Oh, I can totally relate to that. Like I fly all the time. I don't have a phobia, I guess, but I mean, I hate turbulence. My heart races, my hands get sweaty. I find myself just clasping onto the armrest. I mean, I I have it's not a panic attack, but I I have real anxiety when we have weather, we hit rough air, and I think a lot of it is that feeling. You know, I'm I'm out of control. I'm stuck in this chair. Whatever happens next is. Totally beyond me. Plus, that feeling when the plane drops out from underneath you and your stomach drops with it—I hate that feeling. But、uh, control, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Allie on the switchboard. Allie, we're talking about fears and phobias. What do you have? I am petrified of food, but like I love food. It's like one of my favorite things ever. But I can't stand eating food that's pink or red. I won't look at it. I won't even get near it. Pink or red food? Yeah, I don't do like it's. I don't know what it is, but I cannot stand it. Like pink, red, orange, yellow. I can do green, and if I don't look at it, I can do yellow too. <laughs> but other than that, won't do it. And what do you do at a buffet? And you're going down the. A line, you know. You see this, you see that, and oh, look, tomatoes or red bell peppers. What do you do? do you just... That's the thing. I love tomatoes and peppers. It's just I, I don't know what it is. It's just the color that freaks me out. I have the palate of a toddler. So, like, if I look at ice cream, I either have vanilla or chocolate. It's nothing else.、Uh, hang on, just a second.、Right, we got to talk, Allie. Do you overcome the fear to eat? The tomato and the red bell pepper, or do you avoid outright because of your phobia? I just get like yellow tomatoes and like green bell peppers. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's an entertaining one. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think now of all the red foods, from strawberries to、um, nope, you know, red chilies, <laughs> and so much red food out there. If you cut open、I'll、a watermelon. Watermelon has red and pink、oh, all inside、know. of it. How do you do that? How do you overcome I that? I don't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I do not look at it. It's mostly water, so I can justify it. Okay. Well, if you take Allie to dinner, make sure there's low light, just in case something on her plate is、yeah. red and might send her through the pane glass window. Anything else, Allie? Before、yeah. I move on. <laughs> no. All right, that's a good one. Thanks for calling with your phobia, and we'll see you later. See you later. Bye. I have a thing about—I don't know if it's phobia. I don't think it's irrational. You ever used to watch the show Fear Factor? I think Survivor did this as well. One of the reasons, or one of the occasions, I would have to turn away or turn off the show, or if it was recorded, fast forward when they do the food challenges. You want to jump off a watch him jump off a cliff or dangle from a wire or do some stunt, some sort of a, a fear overcoming stunt. Okay, great, that's entertaining. But they bring out the bowls full of live grubs, etc. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. 
And I have uh, been more and more interested in things like the eating of insects. They're supposed to be a great source of protein. It's a whole industry of insect foods, chocolate-covered grasshoppers, that kind of thing. And they say they are delicious. Candied ants are supposed to be delicious, deliciously crunchy, sweet to the taste. They go down easy. You just have to mentally get over the fact that you are eating candy-coated ants. I just finished reading a book, actually listening to the audiobook, called Gory Details that gets into the industry of insect foods. But I'll tell you, if they're moving or slimy or anything like that and they bring them out to be eaten, I cannot be in the room. And I have a hugely strong stomach. I can watch. I love surgery videos from opening scalpel to closing stitch. I don't have any problem with gore. I'm a horror movie buff. You bring in a plate full of moving icky grubs. My ass is in the next zip code like that. I'm just saying. Katie, are you there? We're talking about irrational fears. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so I have an interesting one and probably a strange one. I've lived in the central Florida area for most of my life, and I grew up going to Disney World and all of that. And I remember from the time I was about nine, when I went on Pirates of the Caribbean for the first time, I was immediately really freaked out just by kind of that idea of like the indoor life-size diorama, like animatronics, dark water thing. It's something about the fake environments being brought inside that like really bothers me and I can't explain it. Now, wait a minute, Katie. Let's say you and I hopped in a car and we drove to Kentucky and went to the Creation Museum where they have the big dinosaur <laughs> animatronics in the lobby and throughout. Like, would that freak you out? The thing is, I can look at it. It's just the idea of, like, for example, when I worked at Disney, I talked to some of the techs who would work on the rides and stuff, and they would tell me about how they go in there with the work lights on and, like, everything is all shut off and oh. the ride is all quiet and it's like, you know, and they have to work on the animatronics. But he also told me that they have to be shut down very properly, 100%, or else they could get an electric impulse and, like, knock you out because they're heavier than you think they are. So, like, maybe it's partly rational, but I don't know, things like um, the Rainforest Cafe and stuff like that, where it's like a bunch of fake foliage and fake snakes coming out of the trees, or like, when you go to museums and they have stuff like that. I don't know why, but it makes me kind of uncomfortable, and I don't know if it's just the uncanny valley effect of it, but yeah, it freaks me out. I think that's... I mean, you and I are probably drawing from some of the same mental imagery. You are in, let's call it a warehouse, a back room, some kind of a cold space, a, you know, a concrete, a storage space. And there are life-size or greater than life-size animatronics, not moving, but you're in there with the potential that they might, I don't know, come to life, right? I mean, we've seen those movies. Does that play into your yeah. phobia? Maybe a little bit. And when I, I was actually kind of relieved when I looked it up because I found that there actually are people on the internet who kind of share this fear. There's also one of like submerged animatronics and they call it submechanophobia. They've actually invented a word for it. And it's just something about gears and these creatures and electronics being submerged underwater, kind of like um, when Disney used to have the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride. Like, a lot of people were freaked out by that because it had a whole bunch of, like, underwater animatronics. Katie, do you have Showbiz Pizza or Chuck E. Cheese or any of those places in your neck of the woods? Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I went to Chuck E. Cheese when I was a kid, and I remember the—I the, know exactly what you're going to talk about. Yeah. The the animatronics an on the stage. Animatronic characters. And when I was younger, I was like, oh, how charming. Like, it was showbiz pizza when I was growing up. I don't even know if they're still around. But now, I look at them, and I'm like, that's terrifying. Like, you know, they, they walk <laughs> off of their perches off the stage, and they 
leave the store, the, the pizza parlor, and they roam the city and they do horrible deeds. And then right before sunrise, they go back and take their places again. I'm convinced this actually happens. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. irrational. Do you, Katie? No. And, you know, I don't think Five Nights at Freddy's has really helped people get over that fear. Um, <laughs> but I've, I've also heard that it's possible that it could be a weird evolutionary survival tick in our brains that makes us scared of fake things that mimic real life because we think, I don't trust that thing. It could be trying to kill me and trying to convince me that it's real to calm me down or something, you know? Oh, you do not realize that you have provided a natural and perfect segue into my next segment, Katie. Thank you so very much. All my best with your phobia. Have a happy Halloween, okay? You too. All right, see you later. Article posted in Psychology Today says if people didn't feel fear, they wouldn't be able to protect themselves from legitimate threats. Fear is a vital response to physical and emotional danger that has been pivotal throughout human evolution, but especially in ancient times when men and women regularly faced life-or-death situations. Today, the stakes are lower, But while public speaking, elevators, and spiders don't present the same type of immediately dire consequences that faced early man, some individuals still develop extreme fight, flight, or freeze responses to specific objects or scenarios. Many people experience occasional bouts of fear or nerves before a flight, first date, big game. But when someone's fear is persistent and specific to certain threat and impairs his or her everyday life, that person might have what's known as a specific phobia. At least 60% of adults admit to having at least one unreasonable fear, although research to date is not clear on why these fears manifest. One theory is that humans have a genetic predisposition to fear things that were a threat to our ancestors, such as snakes, spiders, heights, or water. But this is difficult to verify, although people who have a first-degree relative with a specific phobia appear more likely to have the same one. Others point to evidence that individuals fear certain things because of a previous traumatic experience with them, but that fails to explain the many fears without such origins. Personality traits such as neuroticism appear to increase one's likelihood of developing a phobia, and a tendency toward frequent worries and negative thoughts may also increase the risk, as may being raised by overprotective parents, losing a parent, or sexual or physical abuse. Most likely is that people follow multiple pathways to fears, not least among them the emotional response of disgust. The article goes on to talk about evolution, children, and how children might learn fear. Specific phobias, the fears of animals like dogs and bugs, which aren't animals, by the way. Fears of our natural environment, heights or storms, lightning, thunder, Fears related to blood, injury, injecting needles, the fear of flying, fear of public speaking, fear of closed spaces, so many other fears, some rational, some not so much of it related to our evolution as higher primates. More phobias and some fear science. We continue our broadcast on this month of Halloween right after this. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you have not yet subscribed to my second podcast, do me a favor and give it a listen. True Stories with Seth Andrews releases three times a week, little five minute vignettes about true stuff. Fascinating, real stories could be ancient history or news that happened last week. It could be true crime or celebrity news stories of the strange. So much good stuff. Search it on your podcast app and subscribe. True Stories with Seth Andrews. Continuing our October podcast as we talk about fear. Rational, irrational, when, why, and where do we get scared? Amber at 817, are you with me? Hi, Seth. How are you doing? I'm well, enjoying the spooky season. This is my time of year. We're talking about irrational fears. What's yours? Well, this originated more whenever I was younger and Jurassic Park came out. My younger or my older sister, excuse me, was allowed to go see it. And she was telling me about how scary it was and how good it was. And specifically where the gentleman is eaten off of the toilet. (laughs) I had misunderstood the way she explained it to me and had thought that this dinosaur with these huge teeth and this big mouth came up from in the toilet and ate the gentleman. I don't even know for how many years, and it still stays with me some a little bit. If I go and I'm using the restroom, I feel like the unnerving, jumpy, edgy me, like I have got to get off that toilet before something eats me from underneath. <laughs> no, this is a common one, Amber. Uh, there are a lot of ghost stories as I was preparing for these shows every single year. There are ghost stories about, you know, people who there are hands that come up underneath. There's something about the sewer and the opening that goes down into the pipes <laughs> and, you know, the conduit uh, that may, where things may come. I mean, I, I get that one, Amber. And it just cracks me up because even at night, like I said, if everybody's in the house asleep, like the kids and the husband's asleep, I use the restroom and, I mean, I've got so many bathroom little things that just creep me out, but I I agree. It is really common and funny to find how many people, whether it's in the shower and you're worried about closing your eyes in the spiders or somebody being behind the shower curtain. I don't know, but it's just so much fun. I was going to ask you about that. There was uh, something I saw on the internet about how many people, more women than men, before they use the restroom, will actually push back the shower curtain. They just have to look around to make sure there's nothing or and no one behind the curtain. Is that a is that a thing? Was that a thing for you? It isn't, but only because there's a house rule that these shower curtains stay open. Okay. If the shower curtain is closed and I don't know that anybody's in there, I will not go into the bathroom. I mean, there could be monsters, the boogeyman, Michael Myers, you know, Ted Cruz. I mean, you just never know who's going to be behind the shower curtain. You definitely have to check for monsters. Amber, that's amazing. And if you're safe, you just make it a rule. Oh, I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just saying. Well, I hope you have a phobia-free October. And uh, thanks so much for contributing to the conversation. That's fun stuff. Absolutely. You have a great day. All right. See you later. Yeah, the bathroom's loaded with places that you can just, you know, I'm just saying, whether it's the straight razor or behind the shower curtain or the fingers under the door, something about the vulnerability of being in the bathroom, you know, where you, you know, let's say you're sitting on the toilet and something happens, your pants are down around your ankle, I mean, where you, you can't run. You're totally exposed. There's something real about that. I think that that may not even be a irrational. I think that may be a rational fear. I've got 850. Are you with me? Hi, how are you? Forgive me. Uh, what's your first name? Epileptic skeptic. We've talked a couple times before. Epileptic skeptic. Okay. Irrational fears is the subject. What do you have? 
Um, I think my two major ones are a fear of the dark and a fear of cockroaches. I, I think the fear of the dark started first, you know, like as long as I can remember since I was little. I think kind of because, you know, when you're a kid, people tease you about ghosts or different monsters from movies. And sure. I think it, unfortunately, I, I held on to that for a long time. And I was like, what if there is something there when I go in the bathroom or I go into the bedroom or the hallway at night? And <laughs> and cockroaches, huh? Yes. I think um, now that I'm almost 30 years old, the fear of the dark has definitely gotten better, uh, especially since I've lived with my uh, significant other. But cockroaches, I... I don't think that's changed at all. And I think maybe that has to do with the fact that when I was about like six or seven years old, I was just sitting and talking on the phone to my dad and I looked down and there's a, I think it wasn't actually a cockroach. I think it was like a, a cicada, you know, those similar looking bugs. And it was just sitting right there on my leg. And so when I glanced down, I just screamed. And of course my dad's like, Oh my God, what's, what's wrong? Are you okay? Are you okay? And <laughs> my mom grabs the phone and said, she's fine. There was just a bug. <laughs> so wait a minute. I mean, let's say that down the pike, as we evolve our food, back to my earlier conversation, if they serve up the chocolate-covered cockroach, you're not going to join. You're not going to partake with me. I, I, I don't know. See, I, I thought about this because I guess you know you, you could consider spiders too. Like maybe people are going to start eating spiders. Oh hell no! Um, I'm, I'm just kidding. Really There's no way. My, there my- is no <laughs> way I am eating a chocolate-covered cockroach and i'm certainly not going to eat a chocolate covered spider i'm just being facetious here oh my god i i know it sounds crazy but i think if i had to choose one or the other i think i'd choose the spider because for some reason i've, I've never really been afraid of spiders i'm the one who kills the spiders in my house because my boyfriend is really afraid of spiders so i kill the spiders for him he kills the cockroaches for me i had uh, a friend who raised tarantulas big ass tarantula okay and that helped me to change my perception of spiders and now if i've got one in the house i'll just scoop it onto a piece of paper and take it outside you know i i don't i don't even kill the spider like when someone's like oh my god it's a spider kill it or it's a snake kill it i've not i've become the other person who says no no they, they're just existing scoop it up take it outside so I have, uh, I've sort of changed my perception. So next time you see a spider, I'm just saying, you know, is the spider minding their own business? You know, just chilling and maybe that you could scoop it out to a, to a spot where it can go and do spider things. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's just usually happens to be a situation where my boyfriend's like, oh, got the spider. And I'm like, okay, I'll take care of it. And, you know, he just, he just wants it gone immediately. He's uh-uh. not, he's like why in the hell would you take the time to touch that thing and do like, just get rid of it? <laughs> no, I, I've actually done, uh, wrote in sacred cows about some of our, uh, again, we're back to our evolution about how we just go into orbit when we see specific things, whether it's spiders or reptiles, right? Primate see reptiles, even images of reptiles and just flip out. And we've seen this in, in chimpanzees and other primates, even those who never have seen a reptile in person, you show them an image of one, Something fires in their primate brain, and it links back to our survival mechanisms, the fight or flight, because we don't know if this is a venomous creature. We lose our shits, but it helps to ensure our survival. We carry the remnants of those instincts with us today. But that's good stuff. I wish you no cockroaches in your future, and thanks for calling. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) See you later. I mean, I would do the chocolate ants and the chocolate grass. I would do the chocolate grasshopper. Cockroaches in my brain, I just, I can't get, I can't get past it. And spider chocolate, and the spiders, it's not even the legs. It's those nasty ass fangs. You've seen the close-ups of spider faces. They got about a squillion eyeballs. They're all looking at you like surveillance cameras. And then right in the middle, those two fangs, They come out at you. No, no, I'm not going to eat chocolate covered fangs. Not doing it. Not doing it. Okay, I just looked this one up. Entomophobia, the fear of insects. People are most likely to be afraid of bees, spiders, parasites. That means mites and ticks, bed bugs, cockroaches, stinging insects, moths, butterflies. Ants, flies, daddy, long legs, crickets, mosquitoes. Anybody here that 
rumor, urban legend. It's not true. But they used to tell us that the daddy long legs insects were actually horribly deadly and venomous, but their mouths were too small to actually bite people. <laughs> so I, I grew up believing the daddy long legs were actually venomous, but their mouths can't penetrate human skin, so we were safe. I don't know where that came from. Symptoms of entomophobia. Disgust, a sense of fear and anxiety, scratching or picking of your skin, constant cleaning behavior, including your body, your rooms, carpets, sweeping, vacuuming, washing, all of your bedding, other clothing, sealing up your doors and windows, frequent use of insecticide, possible panic attacks, heart rate, blood pressure, sweating, trembling, dizziness, nausea. This fear of insects, entomophobia, is a real thing. There are lots of resources for people who are interested in overcoming their irrational fears. SciComm had some great writing about this. Some of the uh, ways to cope, allow yourself to sit with your fear, face your fear, start slow and short, you know, one minute at a time, then three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, exposure therapy. When you feel anxious, take a second and make a list of what you are grateful for. Fill your mind with the good. Find out what your anxiety can teach you about you. Exercise to refocus your mind. Try a 15-minute walk or yoga or something else. Use some humor to help deflate and defang your worst fears. Make a joke about it. Use some levity and then give yourself credit for having the courage to at least attempt facing your phobias. I think the first step just has to be realizing you have the phobia. Knowing it's there, knowing it bothers you, knowing it might be cheating you of some important part of your life or your peace of mind, and then you can proceed to dealing with it. What about those of us who seek out fear? I mean, I, I'll never bungee jump or you know skydive or I hate roller coasters. I'll never get near, uh, certainly not on a roller coaster ever, ever. But I love scary movies and I love haunted houses. So what attracts us to fear? How is that linked to our evolution? Sci-fi, the television network, actually did a feature on this. There was a haunted house at Eastern State Penitentiary, so they invited sociologist Margie Kerr out, and they talked to her about why people love to be scared and what that produces in us from an evolutionary standpoint. There are a lot of things happening that bring people out, and it does seem counterintuitive that we would want to be scared, but uh, there are lots of things happening in our body when that fight-or-flight response is triggered that can feel pretty good when we're not in actual danger. So, for example, our body kicks our metabolism into high gear, and we're going to start burning all available sugar, turning that into energy. Um, our body's going to start pumping endorphins. Uh, you've got dopamine, all these different neurochemicals that are related to that nice kind of feeling. And again, if you're not really running from a bear or a monster, that can be interpreted as enjoyable and feel good and feel kind of almost primal, you know, get back to your animal state. But there are a lot of other reasons too. You know, people come because uh, it does give them a little bit of a self-confidence boost. Even if the zombies aren't real, well, maybe they are real here, um, but you know, even when you know that they're not real, you still do get a sense of satisfaction just making it through. Kind of like running a marathon or you know, rock climbing, you stressed your body, you got scared, and you're still alive. And so evolutionarily, that means you did something right. Um, so you can kind of get a sense of confidence and you know, maybe even a little bit of resilience out of doing these fun, safe, scary things. How about you? Do you get high on fear? 901, what's your name? Hi, it's Kellen. Thanks for calling, Kellen. What's on your mind? We're talking about irrational fears. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I was terrified of the uh, Scrubbing Bubbles mascot. 
because I thought he lived behind the <laughs> opaque shower doors at my grandfather's house. It's another bathroom. <laughs> and yeah, we're going bathroom today. It's awesome. And um, I I'd gotten over it and everything. And when I started working where I work now, we use scrubbing bubbles to clean the bathrooms. And I mentioned to my little German lady manager, she's 60 and just the craziest lady I know. I mentioned that to her. And I thought she was going to piss her pants laughing because she thought it was so funny. I was scared of the scrub and bubbles mascot. And she keeps forgetting about it. And every time it comes up in conversation, she's like, what are you talking about? And I tell her, and it starts all over again. I'm trying to think. Is that the one with the theme song? Hang on. I'm trying to think of Mr. Bubble in the Tubble. He gets you squeaky clean. I don't know. I, I got to go look it up now. Well, but it's, it's, uh, which mascot is it? The, it's not Mr. Bubbles. Scrubbing Bubbles. Scrubbing Bubbles. All right. Well, everybody go Google Scrubbing Bubbles and look for the mascot and see if it strikes fear in your very soul. <laughs> that, that's a great one. Does that persist today when you see the uh, Scrubbing Bubbles mascot? Do you find that pang of fear? Do you recoil in horror? Are, are you in the fetal position rocking back and forth in the corner? Does it happen to you? No, no, I think he's adorable today. It's just when I was a kid, I don't know why. I just was like, he's behind that door. I know it. If you open the door, he's going to get you. So I never like looked to see if he was there. All right. As I got older, I realized I was kind of a dumb fear to have. Oh, I think it's awesome. I may have to, years down the way, may write an entire ghost story. And the ghost will be the Scrubbing Bubbles mascot. You know, like lurking <laughs> under the stairs, in the attic, creeping down the dark alley, you know, living in the old Victorian mansion kind of thing. It's the scrub and bubble ghost. That is gold. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful holiday Halloween season, and uh, thanks for a great call. Appreciate you much. Thank you, Mr. Andrews. Stay perfect. Uh, <laughs> see you later. Uh, who the hell is Mr. Andrews? I'm Seth. Scrubbing Bubble. I can't. I'm going to finish the show with Scrubbing Bubbles. I, I can't top that today. I can't top it. But I can thank you for sharing your irrational fears, some interesting and fun calls as we enjoy the October season together. Be safe. Be well. I'll catch you later. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, The Thinking Atheist. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dot com. 